In the spring of 2021, Mickey Weems was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer and was given 6 to 12 months to live. This episode was recorded in November of 2022. My name is Donna Blanchard. While we recognize that Mickey is dying, we would like to welcome you today to another day of his life. Hello, Mickey. Howdy. How are you doing emotionally right now? I'm pretty good. Yeah? I'm balanced. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a great thing to be able to say. Yeah. I couldn't say that yesterday. Oh, why was that? Because I was... Because I'm such a picky person and I was afraid that that everything had gone wrong in the broadcast for the show on KTUH, but it hadn't. So that that helped calm me down. Oh, good. And talking with friends also helps. Indeed, that is that is balm, isn't it? I um, when you wake up in the morning, I. And I, I'm acutely aware of this now because I've been going on my long COVID journey. And when I wake up in the morning, it really will kind of define the day for me, how, how I feel. Do you notice uh, variances in there and how you're feeling or what you're thinking emotionally? Yes. I'm, I'm like every other human being. You know, sometimes I'm grouchy. Sometimes I'm in a good mood. Sometimes the pain doesn't matter. Sometimes it does. Sometimes there's no pain. Fatigue is a constant though. So that's, that's the one thing that emotionally can, can hit me. But we were talking about compassion. That was, that was the thing that you wanted to mention. Yeah. I would like to talk about compassion today and so how that's... specifically how it might have, well, you know, we, we can go down um, a road of your choosing. I, I'd also want to make sure that we talk about how you feel that your sense of compassion may have evolved since before your diagnosis. Well, I'm definitely evolving and in some ways a very positive way. Uh, compassion should be, should be the basis of everything that I do from here on out. If I'm going to become the Bodhisattva that I aspire to be, that's got to be what I do. I've, I've got to be a being of compassion. I've also modified my intent for myself to not only become a bodhisattva, become a, but to become a being of pure joy. And I realized last night that that was possible. How, how, tell us about that. I was all tired. I was depressed. I was at the club. Everyone was having fun running around in costumes. The place was decorated magnificently with a heaven and a hell. The, that a giant werewolf outside in front of it. It was, it was fun, but I just wasn't into it because I was just so tired. I could barely go up and down the stairs. <clears throat> and one of the reasons why was because I was avoiding taking the substances that would take all that away from me temporarily. So I finally said, okay, Mickey, you know, shit or get off the pot. I said, okay, I'm going to go home. Then I got a call from a friend of mine and said, I'm going to come on down. Are you going to be there? I thought, okay, then I better, I better do what I need to do. And I knew that what I was doing was dangerous because I'd pushed myself so hard. But I did it and I found myself on the dance floor with a, with a really good DJ, just once again, dancing my butt off and just having fun. And the energy came back and I was glowing and 
you know, I saw people glowing, we were all glowing together. And it was, it was, it was, it was really good. Uh, and I thought, you know, I can actually be this being of pure joy that I want to be. Because for that moment, I was. So, you know, maybe if it's only an hour or two every week, that's a start. Maybe then I can increase it to six hours a week. Then maybe make it a couple of days a week and make it so that I'm joy all the time. Now, joy doesn't mean that I am out of pain. And joy doesn't mean that I don't feel sorrow. Because with Mark, with the experience of Mark and helping take care of Shay, or help her out, helping Shay out, I, I was in, I was in serious protective mode. I was in mourning, with all that, that with all the grief and, and the process that, that that involves, the waves of grief that would watch wash over me. Uh, but still, there's joy. That none of that can discount the joy entirely. That there's still this basis, hardcore bedrock joy that that is my connection or becoming more and more my connection with the universe so that joy i think is it has to be grounded if, if it's joy without compassion then i'm a then i'm a jerk uh so wait the joy <clears throat> was uh you talked about taking substances to help you get there how right. much of it was that how much of it is possible without that not a whole lot in that particular venue and the reason why is because my body just can't, it can't do it anymore without help. It, it, it would be like trying to, um, anything, anything with medication. Medication has its purposes. And so it, for me, it is basically medication. And it has been for a while. And Dr. Okazaki, my oncologist, recognized that it was. So it's not like he prescribed it to me, because of course not. But he, I told him and he said, I keep on doing what you're doing because obviously what you're doing is right. So uh, can we talk about the substances you're talking about? Sure. Uh, the question is, is it just the party favors? Is it just the things that normally people would just take recreationally that I have to take actually medicinally? Is, 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 is it just that? And, and you're hearing this more and more. You're hearing, for example, with, uh, with mushrooms that they're being prescribed as treatment. I understand that mushrooms are not my thing, but I understand why people would. You've, you've got to put your mind in a different, you've got to reset it. Because in the setting that it's in, it's, it, it can only do so much, you know. So am I, getting, am I getting something artificial? No more than if I take ibuprofen to reduce the pain. It's no more artificial than that. I mean, you know, you don't have to <clears throat> convince me. Uh, I I hope psilocybin becomes, uh, a, a, and ayahuasca become illegal. Uh, I hope they become legal for psychiatric treatment. Right. Um. I I, I just want to recognize that, and it, that it's wonderful that your doctor recognizes how you are using these substances and how helpful they are to you and maybe that will lead to um, the legalization of them to help others it should be now you're going to have to deal with the same sort of things that you have to deal with with oxycodone people are prescribed that to deal with pain and they become addicts yeah this, this happens it's part and parcel of the of the bargain you make when you take these drugs right how are you going to react how what are, are they going to be adverse? Uh, are they going to be too good? Are you going to want them all the time and get yourself in trouble? 
that's part of their reality. Um, and so I accept that reality. But I'm not a new kid on the block. I have been doing these substances since when? Um, since the 80s. So there's nothing new. Do you, so there, there are downsides to it. The, the next day, there, there's, um, like there are with a lot of drugs that make you feel better. The next day, the issues that caused you to take them are compounded even. Right. Um, is that worse because of your current physical condition? I'm so conditioned to using these things that I really don't have a downside anymore. Not anything worth mentioning, not anything compared to what I'm living with. So do you need it's more okay. you need more well, you're if you're out at the club until five or six AM, you're gonna need to sleep a lot the next day anyway. Yeah, and I, that's already my condition. So sure. Okay. And I try to get sleep beforehand, which is the one thing I did not do this weekend. That's one of the reasons why I felt like I, I was putting myself in danger. But it's like I told my friend. This is most likely going to be my last Halloween. So I said, I'm going to do it. I, I think that I, I was with a good friend and her father when her father was put in hospice. And this was back when you didn't get into hospice unless they, uh, uh, they had good reason to believe you were not going to last longer than three weeks. That, that right. used to be the cutoff for hospice. And they didn't give him drugs to keep him out of pain. Mm. And that is so ludicrous because the only reason not to do that is other than constipation from morphine-based drugs, but right. fear of addiction. And we, <laughs> I think once you're in a, because um, no one was worried about him running out and throwing a brick through a window or something. He was mm. uh, um, uh, in a lot of pain and, uh, our laws kept him from getting treatment for it. And I'm, I, I wish they would all be just legalized and we could deal with them or not. However, we choose and deal with a treat addiction separately from the use of drugs. Right. Um, so I'm all for it. Uh, I just want to thank you for walking down that road with me for a little while. I just sure. wanted to, we've alluded to these things a little bit in the past and, um, I, I think it's wonderful that you've, you have found something that helps you get to that state that is the, of joy. Uh, do you think you can get there without them? I used to. And what I found out last night is that those days are gone. Hmm. And that's okay, because I knew it was coming. I, I could tell. I used to go out dancing on Wednesday nights, come to test drive at a party called Centered in Hawaiian Brian's. That party, I would go completely sober and I'd stay for like an hour or two and I, I would, I, the music would hit me and I would get the same feelings and it was okay. I, I could run just on that alone. You know, for, for a briefer period of time, but I could do it. Now, well, at least last night, and of course, you get, let's take into account just how fatigued I was too. Last night, it was, no, it was not happening, which is why I had to make the decision. You know, am I going to commit to this? And put myself in danger, or am I just going to go home and get sleep like I should? And of course, I chose danger. So, well, I mean, the saying "you only live mm -hmm. once," you are. Um, it must be acutely aware of that, and yeah, something like it may be your last 
Halloween. I hope you got a chance to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show at some point. I did not. Ah, <laughs> we. <laughs> I know you love that. I do too. We used to, so Mickey would come and help out at Arts at Mark's Garage when we would throw the best viewings of Rocky Horror Picture Show um, year after year. It's that sort of thing that, you know, speaking of that, and we talked a little bit about Bucket List in the last episode, do you have, I, I mean, some people would say this is the amount of time I have. I want to step way out of my comfort zone and do this, this, and this. Is there anything you've got? Do you have anything on a list that you're not currently already working on? Well, bucket lists don't make sense to me. Uh, yeah. I've, I've already done everything that I wanted to do. So the Kuleana list, that will put me outside of my comfort zone. If I'm going to go, for example, going to Lunar Vibes and giving the presentation basically on life and death, that was, um, that was tough. But it was part, I, I, I did it mainly because I'd obliged myself to it you know, before I got pneumonia and I was gonna, I was gonna see it through. The broadcast, that is on the Kuleana list. If I'm gonna leave a legacy, I also wanna leave my songs. Now, is that more of a vanity project? Well, of course it is a vanity project, but at the same time, I also think that the songs are a new way for me to express what I'm going through and that people seem to resonate to them. So, and you know, maybe, maybe it helps, maybe it helps them. Yeah. It helps me to write them. I, and I don't think <clears throat> vanity is mutually exclusive from a Kuleana list or a bucket list. And yeah. any, anyone who doesn't know Kuleana is both a responsibility and a privilege. Mm -hmm. um, I I'm think- privileged. I mean, what, what yeah. kind of people could get Locke Lynch, renowned sound producer in Chinatown and star uh, Kalahiki, who could get those two to come up? Or why would they, you know, through their kindness, do it? So I am, I, th those two have definitely privileged me and I did nothing to deserve it. Uh, that's just from the kindness of their hearts. It, yeah. Um, oh, it's Star, whose music is the our theme song. That no, that that that's uh, that's Kainani. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, when, you, when, when you hear the broadcast, when you hear Star do uh, uh, "Come Together," the Beatles song, mm -hmm. I saw her do it in Imoa Lounge in Hawaiian. So that I asked must her have been to. Awesome. Oh, it was it was absolutely incredible because she she could she can captivate a crowd. So I asked her to do it during the radio show and she did it. And um, yeah, fantastic. When, when you asked Star and Locke to get involved, did, I, I know when you, when you called me and asked, you said, I, I already knew about the cancer and you said, I want to help people as much as I can for as long as I can. Can you think of anything we can do? Um, so I already knew about it when you contacted star and lock, did they already, was it, was it part of the ask for you to let them know where you are in your life? That would be, that's kind of, that's kind of manipulative. I'm dying. Please do this for me. Uh, so, uh, they already knew, but, and I like them and I really do enjoy their company. And we've spoken before. So it wasn't like we were complete strangers. 
Locke and I had actually met at an after hours because he is such a, and we became friends because he can shuffle. <laughs> that child could step. So we became friends there and we continued the friendship. And I told him what was happening. Then I thought, okay, how can I connect with these people who I like? And they, they've got busy schedules. What can we do to make it fun and make it, you know, something that they enjoy too? And so music was the obvious thing for us to connect through. And boy, did it pay off. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that you're a manipulative person. And also, I mean, you have seen how many people want to help you tell, want to help you express your story. Right. So I don't think it's uh, manipulative mm -hmm. to let people know this is part of my story and I want you to help me tell it, whether it's through music or a comic book or a podcast. Mm -hmm. I just wonder, Thank yeah, you. how much of that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, uh, you know, in the movie Contact, when Jodie Foster says they should have sent a poet, um, she she sees this amazing thing and they sent her a scientist and she said they should have sent a poet i my life in art is all about artistic expression that can relay um a full picture like nothing else like no spreadsheet <laughs> ever could so i appreciate that you did that uh well, through music and that you continue to you. find ways to express it's interesting that you bring up poetry because the way i was able to grieve for mark when he had passed, Mark was a PJ, a uh, parachute jumper, um, pararescue for the Air Force. One of those incredible people that do all, everything and then and they rescue pilots that fall from planes in the sky or they crash, whatever. Um, he um, he made it his the end of his life. He, he was constantly helping people who had PTSD. He was constantly being kind. He was he connected with me for the same reason because he found out I had cancer and he said, this is what you need to do, Mickey. You're a Marine. You, you have these benefits coming to you. And he was giving give me instruction. He was helping me just like he would anybody else who needed his help. He was very generous that way. But it reconnect, rekindled our friendship. So in order to express how I felt about his loss, I had to go to poetry. I had to go to literature. I'm, I, I don't think we mentioned this on the podcast that I went to uh, the funeral oration of Marcus Aurelius and excuse me, of Marcus, Mark Anthony mm -hmm. for Julius Caesar, where he says at the end of it, it's something to the effect of my heart is in the coffin with him and I cannot rest until it comes back to me. So a little paraphrasing there, yeah. but yeah, that, that, that's basically the gist of it. That's how I felt. Then also I read a, 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 a book by, uh, Japanese American scholar James, I forget his last name, but he um, he was writing that uh, that a poet named Matsuo said, "A friend who died 15 years ago wrote me a letter in black ink on black paper, and I do not know how to read it." And I thought the idea of writing in black ink on black paper is exactly the way I felt with the loss of Mark. All these words were in me, but I couldn't I couldn't bring them out. I, I or he might have been talking to me and I couldn't understand them. There was this, there was this veil between us, and this veil between me and myself that I could not overcome. And the only thing I could do was recognize it and say, this is, this is what it's like. It's like writing on black ink with black ink on black paper. Mm. So, so Mark's a good friend of Mickey's who passed not too long ago. Do you feel that 
his passing affected you differently now than it would have in 2019? Well, in 2019, he and I were not connected the same way. He, oh. he had yet to reach out. You know, I, I didn't know that I had, uh, you know, had COVID, had, had the cancer. So, um, yeah, I, 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 it, that, that would have been, it, yes, it would have been impossible. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. I, uh, I, I think that um, I, I, a lot of people facing um, th their end would, it would hit them much more. Um, uh, the impact would be much more difficult to handle of, of a good friend dying. But I, I don't, it may not be the case with you because you are so at home with your own um, passage. I am pretty at home with it. Mm -hmm. And that does make a difference, I think. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're listening to it uh -huh. week by week. <laughs> okay. By the way, I just found the name of the author. I, I hate saying something like, you know, the black, black letters and black ink on black paper without attributing it to the author. And the author's name is David Murrah. Okay. And the book was Turning Japanese, Memoirs of a Sensei, of a, of a Sansei, excuse me, of a Sansei, of a third generation Japanese person. I love the image of black ink on black paper. It's, it's so, it's so, it's so grieve worthy, <laughs> if I could put it that yeah. way. There's nothing positive about it except that it's beautiful. That's the only positive thing about it. So it gives you beauty in the midst of, you know, just this, 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 this sadness that you feel. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. Uh, you sharing about your friend and, um, and how you are processing it. We just have a minute left. Is there any, anything else you'd like to leave us with this week? We didn't really get too far in compassion. Well, I guess we did in a roundabout way, yeah. but we can, I mean, we can always do that later. We're talking about your compassion for your friend that led you That's to true. seek a way to express it um and and find expression about it i mean that i think that's practicing compassion not only for your friend and you have uh you talked about in the last episode you've been in close contact with his wife and you're looking for further ways to honor her and other military widows um that's compassion for others but also finding ways to express that for yourself is compassion for yourself so yeah i think we we uh did a nice job with that thank you mickey as always thank you no problem aloha aloha I'm Donna Blanchard. James Charisma is our producer. Susan Wright is our content advisor, PR agent, and support team member. Music generously donated by Kainani Kahaunaele from her Hoku Award-winning album, Waipunale. We're all here to support our friend Mickey and help him help all of us to learn about living while dying. <laughs>